0: A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam & Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with us on the program today. Cody Wisniewski is going to join us from the Firearms Policy Coalition. We're going to talk about a uh, an anniversary that I had frankly hoped we would get a present for. Uh, the one-year anniversary of the oral arguments in Bianchi versus Brown. This is a, a gun ban case. Specifically, a case dealing with uh, Maryland's ban on so-called assault weapons. Oral arguments in this case were heard a year ago on Wednesday, December 6th. I I didn't want to write about it because, I honestly, I thought if I write about the anniversary on the day it happens, um, my story is probably going to be outdated. I probably should have done that so that we could have gotten an opinion. Uh, But instead, the anniversary passed. No opinion from the three-judge panel in the Fourth Circuit on the constitutionality of Maryland's ban. On uh, so-called assault weapons, so now it's been more than a year since oral arguments were held, and we are still awaiting that decision. We're going to talk with that case and a couple of others. Uh, talk about that case and a couple of others with Cody Wisniewski of the Firearms Policy Coalition here in just a minute. Before we get to that, however, let's talk about this for just a moment. Biden's america is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch, me next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy your way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six time 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, with thousands of five star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call GoldCo at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. And now, let's turn to our conversation with the Fire and Policy Coalition's Cody Wysniewski, talking about the Bianchi case, as well as a couple of the other... Uh, lawsuits that are percolating around the uh, court system across the country. Take a look and a listen. Cody, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's good seeing you, sir. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Ken. Yeah, man. So I got to ask, was I alone in kind of hoping that the Fourth Circuit would use the one-year anniversary of the oral arguments of Bianchi versus Brown to actually release its
1: opinion in this case? You you were certainly not alone. We were, we were watching the calendar pretty closely. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, that that one year anniversary has now come and passed. Yeah, it is. It is a shame. I mean, we've and we know the Fourth Circuit's, you know, we've got this other three
0: judge panel that recently uh, concluded that Maryland's handgun qualification license is unconstitutional. Um, I I don't know what is the reason for the delay. I mean, that oral argument was held back in March. We already have a decision. We don't know, right? It's not like the, the three judge panel has a deadline uh, where they have to issue their opinion by a certain time. Um, but do you see this as a good or a bad sign that it's been now
1: more than 12 months and we don't have a decision? I don't really think it's either, to be honest. Um, it could be, I mean, you could throw a million theories at why the circuit court is taking so long. So, you know, sometimes you get opinions at a circuit courts within two to three months. That, you know, in terms of litigation is light speed. It is pretty uncommon that you get over a year. There was a point in time in the past, however, that the Ninth Circuit's average time to decision was 18 months. Um, so it's not uncommon to happen in this space. And you could draw conclusions either way, right? You could say, well, maybe it's because they're trying to you know, draft a really strong opinion one way or another. Maybe it's because they're battling back and forth on dissents or concurrences. It would be really difficult to know exactly why it's dragging on. But I think one, one thing that's really hard to remember in these contexts is that in our world, we're paying so much attention to timing on these cases because we're talking about violations of constitutionally protected right. What what most you know lawyers see a lot of times in just general civil litigation is you know a 12 month delay in a 20 year contract dispute's no big deal. So sometimes you get these really weird forces where uh you know you would you would hope that courts would pay attention to cases like these a little bit more closely when there are rights at issue.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I've used the phrase court time uh in the past, right? Things are operating on court time because yeah, I mean, listen, we talk about the Supreme Court. You know, obviously, we would have loved to have seen the Supreme Court get involved in some of these emergency requests when, you know, we're dealing with uh, Antoniuk in New York or the Illinois gun ban. And as frustrated as it is, you know, I, I don't think it's a sign that the court has all of a sudden turned anti-gun. I, I think it is more of a dispute about when the court gets involved at an early stage in litigation. And we've heard people like Chief Justice John Roberts say hey, he thinks that the the courts are that the Supreme Court may be getting involved a little too often. Um, so I am with you. Again, we're still talking about a constitutional right, right? And every day that these laws are in place, rights are being denied, people are being subjected to an infringement of the rights. So yeah, I, from my attitude, it's like, hurry up, take the first case you can. But I understand that's not the same perspective that the uh the judges and the justices may have here. Um, so we've got the Bianchi case out there, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get a decision there soon. Uh, we've also got a, uh, not an anniversary, but a deadline today, right? The uh, deadline for public comments on the ATF's latest proposed rule. So we've we've had our rule on going back to the Trump administration, banning bump stocks. Uh, then when Joe Biden came around, it was uh, frames and receivers, right? And then it was stabilizing braces. And now the ATF wants to define who redefine, who is engaged in the business? Basically, who should have to get a federal firearms license uh, when they are selling firearms? Can you talk about what this proposed rule looks like and why it is so troubling?
1: Yeah, you, you well, at first you think they would have learned their lesson by now, right? <laughs> yeah, right. The, the the bump stock rule has been struck down by several courts, is now pending on cert before the Supreme Court you know, we had the case Vanderstock, which is the frame or receiver case where we were successful there. Um, and now we're just trying to determine the, you know, the final scope of relief in the case. And then, of course, we had, you know, the the pistol brace case, which was our mock litigation, where we were successful there and got the first injunction against it um, in the country and have been, you know, successful in, in litigating against that rule. So, uh, you know, you would think maybe once bitten, twice shy, but uh, apparently the ATF is the exact opposite. So they're just going to plow ahead again and issue another rule that they don't have any authority to do. But this rule, basically, I mean, the, the the simplest way to look at it is they're just trying to change the way that they apply the engaged in the business rule, which requires people to have, you know, an FFL if they're engaged in the business of selling or buying firearms basically what they're doing is they're trying to make engaged in the business that term be so broad that it would capture nearly every transaction in the United States or it would at least make people think that any transaction could subject them to prosecution and i mean it's it's down to thing if you one of the exemplars given by the atf rule is if you purchase a firearm or sorry if you sell a firearm and during that sale convey that you may want to sell another, or you may even want to buy a firearm, then you might be, you're probably engaged in the business. And they, they shift the burden in this rule. So they say, if you do that, if you do any number of these things, they presume that you are engaged in the business, and then you have to prove you're not. And so they take the burden and they flip it completely on its head. And now you're essentially guilty until proven innocent. It's amazing. I mean, these these standards are so subjective that you
0: don't even have to derive a profit, right, from a sale of a single firearm to be considered engaged in the business. In fact, you don't even have to complete the sale of a firearm
1: to be engaged in the business of selling firearms. Which is kind of astounding when the federal definition of engaged in the business is predominantly to derive a profit. Like That's the, that's the definition. So right? they're, just, they're just going so far beyond that scope. And that's, you know, that's what we're seeing from the ATF now. We saw it at the end of the Trump administration. We're seeing it under the Biden administration. They're taking the congressional law and they're just trying to stretch it as far as humanly possible to give them as much authority as humanly possible and scare people, right? It, it just puts people in this place where they can't know whether their firearm is a pistol or an SBR. They can't know whether, you know, the the lower receiver that they have is a lower or not. Uh, they can't, and now they can't know if they engage in a private sale, if they're engaged in the business without a license or not. And all of these things bear criminal penalty. I mean, we're talking felony charges, we're talking 10 years in prison. This is not, you know, a, a misdemeanor or a speeding ticket. So they're playing with people's rights, they're playing with people's lives, and they're trying to scare people into just not engaging in any of this activity at all. Absolutely right. And, and, and you know,
0: and it's, I'm glad you point out the, the vagueness of this, right? Because it would be one thing if there was a clear, bright line that we thought went way too far. And we could say, okay, move that line back, right? But that's the thing. There is no clear, bright line. By design, they want it to be as vague as possible. And we've seen that with some of these other rules too, right? The The rule of lenity actually came into play in the uh, challenge, I believe, in the Vanderstock case, right? Like, how do you know, If you're violating the law or not. Um, And the ATF can't really tell you. They can say, well, you probably are, but we can't tell you for sure. Right. Um, And so you're right. When there is that vagueness, when there is that uncertainty, most people are going to err on the side of not committing a federal felony, not running the risk of a 10 year prison sentence or a $250,000 fine. And for the gun control groups, who are, you know, working not just hand in hand with the Biden administration, but are working outside, out of the White House right now in the Office of Gun Violence Prevention. That's as good as Congress passing a new law, right? Because it's still having that same
1: chilling effect on gun owners. Absolutely. And and it just, it tries, these rules are trying to imbue all this discretion in the ATF, all this discretion in the director. And it doesn't allow people to know what the law is, what the rules are. I mean, go beyond the fact that all of these are blatantly unconstitutional, that we're so far away from a constitutional form of government, that we're beyond, you know, a government that actually recognizes and protects people's right to keep and their arms in the true way that it should. Go we're well beyond that. But now what we've got is is at least before people knew what was OK and what wasn't, what they could do and what they couldn't, what the ATF would charge them for and what it wouldn't now i you have no idea I mean you have no idea if you sell a firearm in its original packaging with its manuals to your son in a state where private transfers are illegal I mean you could possibly be engaged in the business and this scoops even further right even in a state where you have to go and get a background check for a private transfer you could go get a background check for that private transfer do the private transfer you still according to the ATF might have done something that subjects you to, you know, investigation for unlawfully being engaged in the business of selling firearms, even if you follow your state process. I mean, it scoops so far.
0: I, all right. So the public comment period ends today. Um, what's the next step after the public comment period ends? Is, is there obviously then, I guess, a time for review? And then the ATF will publish the final rule. And that's when groups like FPC
1: can say, all right, we'll see you in court. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's the, it's the Bianchi uh, test or the, the, the Bianchi plan. (laughs) You sit and wait. (laughs) So, you know, unfortunately the agency will, or, you know, it'll sit, it'll review comments. Normally in this process, this is when the agency would, you know, amend the rule, would address the issues. They're legally required to address every unique comment that's submitted to them. As long as they're not, you know, Swearing at the ATF, uh, those ones they don't have to consider according to law. Um, but they'll review all these comments. They'll consider it. They will potentially amend the rule. You know, in some instances in the past, this is when the agencies go, "You know what? This might be a bad idea. and Withdraw the rule." Uh, that doesn't seem to be very common in this administration. So I don't know that we're going to see that from this ATF. But there will be a period of time where the agency will review, and then they will publish the final rule. Normally, that means that there's, you know, some announcement about the effective date of the rule. Obviously, we saw in the pistol brace context that the ATF basically made the rule effective immediately, uh, mm-hmm. which they're legally not allowed to do. But again, this is now the world that we live in. Uh, so there is normally a, you know, a publication, and then they inform everybody of the effective date, and then that's when you have the process of. Uh, that additional review, and then we get to see whether or not uh, it it warrants bringing them into court. You know, I, I guess the
0: <laughs> there is a silver lining to all of this. Um, there will be no shortage of potential plaintiffs to take on this lesson, right? Because almost every gun owner who might sell a firearm uh, could run afoul of this rule and could be a potential plaintiff. So, uh, you know, I guess you've got a wide body of, uh, of litigants to choose from when the time comes. I, you know, and I want to ask you as well, Cody. How likely do you think it is that this is the last proposed rule we see from the ATF before uh, the elections next November? Um, I I mean, I keep seeing, here's what I'm worried about. I keep seeing these judges say, well, you know, these bans on AR 15s and modern sporting arrivals, they're fine because they're like machine guns, right? And uh, machine guns aren't protected by the Second Amendment. I see groups like uh, Guns Down America. Uh, telling the ATF, you need to reclassify Glocks as machine guns because we got these, you know, Glock switches out there and they're converting semi-automatic handguns into fully automatic handguns. So treat Glocks like machine guns, treat semi-automatic handguns like machine guns. I'm really concerned that if Biden wants to go all in on gun control, that we'll see this rule from the ATF saying, hey, you know what? Actually, we are going to, you know, I- impose these same rules. We're going to start treating semi-automatic uh, firearms, either you know, gas-operated rifles like the Go Safe Act, or maybe just even a broader definition of all semi-automatic firearms. We're going to treat them like machine guns because we think they can be readily converted to machine guns. And I think that would be sort of the 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 gun control nuclear option. And I'm
1: not convinced that they're not going to deploy that between now and next November. In a normal, insane world. Uh, I would tell you that the rulemaking process generally takes a lot of time. Usually it takes the agencies a lot of time to get sources together, to draft a proposed rule, to then put that rule out for notice and comment. Then there's a 90-day waiting or a 90-day comment period generally. Then they have to review all the comments. Then they have to consider them. They have to put them into the final rule, draft a final rule, publish it. So the rulemaking process is, is rather slow. Uh, Generally, it's pretty uncommon that you get big rulemakings over kind of election years or potential changes in administration. Because what would happen would be, right, if you had this very massive rulemaking that's out pending and then you get a new administration that comes in, they would just scrap it immediately. So, or some maybe they should scrap it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I won't, I won't profess. Um, but in a in a a sane world, I would tell you, you know, there's probably not a lot of time between now and the election. It seems unlikely that they would marshal that many resources just for something that has the potential to be scrapped at the end of the day. We're not in a sane world anymore. uh, And ETF is no longer playing by, you know, the standard rules that all of the agencies have been playing by. And so who knows, right? you could take out the side of maybe it's not legally advisable or maybe it's not a good use of resources, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to determine that it's not politically viable or that it's not a good opportunity to tout something on a campaign trail. So we, we're in a place where, I mean, they're, they're issuing these rules that are, are blatantly in violation of the ATF's statutory authority, and basically their strategy has been we're going to issue it, you sue us, and we'll, we'll play it out in court. And they're just dragging these cases out and they're trying to throw these rights and throw all of these issues into this, you know, that of uncertainty. So for a period of time, at least people are uncomfortable with what they may or may not legally be allowed to own at the time. I mean, we've saw, we've seen all the, the uncertainty come around. What's an 80 percenter? When is it a firearm? What does it have to ship with? If it ships with a jig. Now, all of a sudden, it's a firearm. We've seen this with pistol races, right? Can I can I not? Can I Mm -hmm. possess it next to it? Can I not? Now it's going to be Hey, can I or can I not sell this? Can I or can I not buy this? What you know, what's the process here? And it seems like the administration no longer cares about issuing rules that are either legal or constitutional. And instead, we're getting into this place where they're just pushing the boundaries as far as they possibly can, and are waiting for courts to tell them no.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's what concerns me uh, because this would look. This would definitely push the boundaries. The the and the Biden administration has not done this. I mean, you've had gun control groups like Brady that have been arguing for this very thing in uh, in civil litigation, right? Telling judges, hey, treat uh, semi-automatic handguns as if they're machine guns. The courts haven't really bought into that. Uh, I mean, uh, some of the you know judges dealing with the bans on so-called assault weapons have, but in, in the civil litigation, we haven't seen a judge willing to bite. But this is definitely a strategy that. The gun control groups are pursuing. I think it would be a huge political mistake for Joe Biden to do that. I mean, you want to talk about energizing gun owners in 2024. Tell them you're coming for you know their, their handguns. Tell them you're coming for you know the most commonly owned farms in the country. But I, I, I'm not convinced that the Biden administration is all that great when it comes to political strategy either. So they could make a mistake. Um, and it doesn't mean that wouldn't impact our rights. Uh, all right. So final question. This is going to be a, a really tough one for you, Cody. Um, if folks want to help what Firearms Policy Coalition is doing all around the country, defending our right to keep our arms, taking the fight to uh, these uh, anti-gunners.
1: How do they do it? Well, that is the toughest of the interviews so far. So <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can find everything about FPC at firearmspolicy.org. Uh, you can join FPC, become a member, support the fight at joinfpc.org. You can find all everything on socials at gunpolicy. Uh, of course, we've also got FPC Action Foundation, which you can find online. FPC Action on all of the socials. So, uh, go ahead, you know, take a look at what we're doing. Take a look at the work. If you like it, if you're happy with it, you know, we'd really appreciate your support because we can't do these things without people like you partnering with us, right? I mean, none of the the, the plaintiffs that we work with, none of the clients that we work with, they never they're never footing legal bills, right? These guys are coming in and they're representing all of the people like them, all of the people like us in litigation, and they're putting their name on it. And And court costs are really expensive. It's expensive to litigate cases. It it's is. expensive to, to be around on Bianchi for years and years and to go back to the circuit court and then to wait for another year. So these things are really important. So we really appreciate everybody's support. Absolutely. And uh, and we appreciate everything that you guys are doing
0: there at FPC. Cody, thanks so much for spending a couple of minutes with us today. And I look forward to doing this again very soon. Thanks, Cam. Happy to be here and would be happy to come back again whenever. My thanks to Cody for joining us on the program and looking forward to having him back again here very soon. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizens story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start with uh, that. Now, I will say that this is not a case of, um, well, I, you know, I, I take that back. Uh, this is from Nashville, Tennessee. I was going to say this isn't a case of somebody who's got violent crimes, but actually that's not the case. Uh, there are some crimes of violence in the accused serial shoplifters' 100-plus criminal charges. Yeah. How does somebody rack up 100 charges to want to perish? She's figured out a way. She's only 34 years old, but uh, yeah, over 100 criminal charges in her history, Um, dating back to shortly after she turned 18 in 2007, apparently. Uh, WKRN reports that uh, repeat offenses after that go on and on. Some of them turn violent. Uh, A lot of these cases are theft, are shoplifting, um, but there are some cases where assaults were involved. Her first theft case was in 2013, with more than half a dozen theft charges to follow soon after. More theft charges in 2015 and 2016. Court documents showing four different incidents in 2016 alone. Several of those cases, again, turning violent with Paris facing assault charges. But it sounds like she's been arrested dozens of times. There's been very little time behind bars as a consequence uh, for these crimes. Uh, WKRN spoke with the uh, president of Alert Mid-South, Glenn Allred who says um, that more punishment is needed. He says, I've seen in the past where they've already had their bondsmen set up ready to go, paid in full, ready to go before they were captured. They may be stealing for months, but they know eventually they're going to get caught and about around how much their bond will be. So they'll go ahead and they'll prepay their bond, basically as, you know, insurance, right? So when they do get caught, (laughs) they're right out the door. It's amazing. Uh, Parrish's latest chart is involving... Uh, Theft of a purse or several purses, actually, uh, back in July, a arrest report said that uh, she dropped her phone when she was running out of the uh, store. Phone revealed revealed several indications that Paris was involved in selling stolen property. Uh, Right now, she's being held in the uh, metro jail on a $100,000 bond, but we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, Today's Armed Citizen story from florida now this is a weird headline too burglar hospitalized after being shot by victim at an auburndale gas station wasn't really a burglar sounded like it was more of a an assault you've got a guy sitting in his car at a gas station police say a man walked up to him and punched him in the face through the open window that's when the uh, individual in the car drew his firearm and shot the man who had punched him uh one time and uh then the man left the uh, armed citizens actually stayed on the scene uh police as they were on their way to the Seven Eleven where this happened got diverted for a call about a man with a gunshot wound at a local hotel when they arrived uh they found a man lying in the parking lot with a single gunshot wound to his abdomen he was responsive to law enforcement uh taken to a local police to, uh, to a local hospital identified as a 36 year old juan jose martinez um non-life-threatening injuries apparently for mr martinez the investigation revealed that the uh, shooting took place at that 7-11 gas station the uh, police were able to talk with several eyewitnesses as well as the armed citizen they also were able to look at surveillance video uh that showed that the shooting was in self-defense according to police they say eyewitness testimony also confirmed what happened after the incident they don't know what prompted martinez to punch the stranger he didn't know him and the guy was just sitting in his car but um According to the Auburndale Police Department, due to unknown threats that may follow from Martinez, the victim was placed in a well-found fear for his life. Martinez has been charged with burglary with battery, I guess for reaching into the car, which is a first-degree felony. After his release from the hospital, he'll be taken to the Polk County Jail. The armed citizen, again, not going to be facing any charges. Finally, today in the right place, at the right time, we're unable to do the right thing. Some good Samaritans in Florida as well, outside a Publix grocery store, who helped subdue a guy who attacked... A Salvation Army bell ringer. Man, you want to talk about an easy way to get coal in your stocking for Christmas, that would be the way to do it. Uh, again, thankfully, there were some good Samaritans uh, involved. Apparently, I don't think either of them had a, a firearm, but Billy Richard was the uh, bell ringer in question. She says that uh, she had just finished her shift for the Salvation Army, it was walking to her car, when a guy, identified as 42-year-old Robert Moore, attacked her uh richard said he told me to give him my keys i said no i turned away from him he was still all over me i told him to leave me alone told him to get away and i screamed i said i have pepper spray and i'm going to spray you and i turned around and went like that and he grabbed my keys and took off she then fell to the ground moments later one of the uh, good samaritans runs across the parking lot tackles more another one joins in holds them down until police arrived uh one of those good samaritans identified only as a man named dan who's an army veteran who served in Iraq and afghanistan said he tried to run and he wasn't able to get far and I took him down and fought him for a while. I think he was on some drugs. Said, I didn't really give it any thought. I just saw it and just blacked out. I really don't remember catching him or throwing him down. Now, Billy Richard calls Dan and the other good Samaritan who helped take more down to the ground. Her angels saying, I was really blessed. They came to my rescue. I didn't break a bone. I could have been stabbed. I could have been shot or anything. I'm blessed. Dan actually suffered from some broken fingers as well as some bruising. But he says he's just glad to help. He says, there are people who choose to be evil. And the only way that we can prevent it is people need to step in and do something when they see it go down. So in the right place, at the right time, willing, able to do the right thing, Dan and the other anonymous Good Samaritan, we thank you very much for your very, very good deed. That's all the time we've got for you in this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We will be back with more on Monday. But in the meantime, be sure to check out BarionArms.com for the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. I'd encourage you as well to uh, become a VIP or VIP Gold member. All you have to do, go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. And in return, we're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. news, stories and analysis that matter because your support matters a great deal. So thank you again. Have a great weekend and the rest of your week, I guess, until we talk again. Be well, be safe, and be free.